We are in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And we're actually in a section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching us to pray. Um, He's in this little section where he's saying, when you give, when you pray, when you fast. But on the prayer section, he kind of takes a little aside and he's telling them all along the way, look, when you give, don't just do it so others praise you. Do it from the heart. So to protect that, do it in secret. And he says the same thing about prayer and fasting. But then when he talks about prayer, he doesn't just say go in secret. He actually says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. So pray like this. And he sets out the Lord's prayer. Some people say, we should actually call it the disciples prayer. That's fine if you want to confuse people. But everybody's going to know what you're talking about if you say the Lord's prayer. No one's going to know what you're talking about if you say the disciples prayer. But here we have the Lord's prayer, Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read it just so we can get the full picture of the way Jesus teaches us to pray. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And this morning we're gonna be looking at verse 12. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Let's pray. God, we have opened your word, excited to hear from you and expecting to hear from you. So would you please speak to our hearts? And as you speak, I pray that we would know it's your voice that we're hearing. Give us the courage to face the wrongs inside of us by coming to you for forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is an interesting place in the Sermon on the Mount and specifically in the Lord's Prayer because Jesus is talking about something that we all face, not just every day, that makes it sound like it's once a day, almost every moment of every day. How are you gonna face the wrongs inside of you? It's not a matter of if you will face them, it's a matter of how. Because everyone who walks on this planet is well aware of things inside of them that aren't just broken and hurt from the outside, That's suffering, but everyone is aware of something within them that is wrong from the inside. We as Christians, followers of the Bible, call it sin, but people all over the world call it something, and no one thinks that they don't have anything wrong with them, and those who claim they don't have anything wrong with them are actually trying to cope with their wrongs in a very particular way. We all have ways that we cope with our inner problems. But in this passage, here's what Jesus is saying. Cope with the wrongs by coming to God for forgiveness. Cope with the wrongs of others by coming to God, praying that we would have the power to forgive them. Because forgiveness transforms our relationship with God and with others. That's the main idea of this message this morning. Forgiveness transforms our relationship with God and with others. I always joke that at this point, uh, I'm gonna call Carrie out and say that's the main idea. Carrie runs our social media and she always tries to faithfully post during the week, say what was the main idea? Every time she asks me, I go, I just failed. I spent hours that week and I just communicated for 35 minutes and my own wife who loves me so dearly says, what, what were you talking about? It's like, ah, okay, I need to try harder. Forgiveness transforms our relationship with God and with others. Here's where we're gonna go this morning. First, we're gonna face the wrongs in me. Then we're gonna face the wrong in others. 
It's very important that we go in that order. It is, I mean, it's crucial that we go in that order. You get that order messed up and you're gonna get everything messed up about what Jesus is teaching us about forgiveness. So first, God and the wrongs in me. Remember that this is in the context of prayer, the Lord's prayer. We're praying to a God who has all authority, whose name deserves to be hallowed, who's the king of all kings, and now Jesus invites us to ask this God for forgiveness. So the context is prayer. The context is not Jesus teaching on what forgiveness is. He does that in other places, and we're gonna talk about those other places. But it's just important to remember as we take a step to the side for a minute to talk about what forgiveness is, we can't stay there because that's not what this text is about. This text is about praying for forgiveness. But if we're gonna pray for it, we gotta know what it is. And I think we gotta look at the tension of forgiveness. Why do we need to be forgiven? Well, debt is a helpful word here. A debt is something that's owed by someone to another person. And debts are what's forgiven. Maybe you've read different or memorized different versions of the Lord's Prayer. Maybe you've learned, forgive us our trespasses. But this translation in the ESV and a very accurate word from the Greek is debt. Forgive us our debts. We owe something to you, God, and forgive us because we've not paid it to you. So what do we owe God? I mean, that's the claim here. If we need God to forgive us, that means we owe something to God. And I actually think we owe God complete loyalty and love. We owe him our pure worship and our whole selves. And we owe him this because of who he is. Think about this with me for a minute. A theologian a thousand plus years ago wrote a book and tried to define God. What is God? Not even the God of the Bible, just a God. I mean, if you're gonna say this is God, what is that? He says God is a being greater than which nothing can be imagined. We know the God of the Bible is the creator. He's the eternal one who created not because he needed to, but because he wanted to. And then his perfect and infinite love overflowed into creation and specifically, not even just to plants and animals, but specifically to us, his image bearers. So we owe him, our creator, our father, the one in whose image we are made, we owe him love and trust and worship and loyalty. We owe him this because that's who he is. To treat anything else as equal or on par to him is to miss who he is. But the truth is we've not given that to him. And Augustine, another theologian from a thousand, almost 2,000 years ago, lived in the fourth century, fifth century, and he described sin as this reality that we were created to be turned outward toward God. But sin is when we actually take that worship and that love and we turn it in on ourselves. And living a life of sin is a life turned in on ourself. He said we're, we were created to know and enjoy, praise, trust, and love God. And sin is like we took all that and then we actually gave it to our Selves. We've trusted in our own way of navigating this life. We've actually known, enjoyed, praised, trusted, and loved other things that we put in God's place. So we owe God perfect love and loyalty, and we have failed to give it to him. This is called sin. And because sin is turning away from God, who's the author of life, 
Let's go logical for a minute, which some of us are like, yes, I've been waiting for you to do this. And some of us are like, oh, please no, tell me a story. But we're gonna go logical for just a second. God is life, is the author of life. We over here do not have life in ourselves, right? You don't have to be a Christian to acknowledge that. You didn't choose to give yourself life, right? <laughs> that's, that's all of us. But we receive life. We acknowledge we receive it from God who gives it to us and sustains us. So if he's the source and author of life and we're over here and we choose to turn our back on the author of life, we are naturally turning towards death. Death is just the natural consequence of sin. It's not like the extra most bad punishment God could have given us. No, no, it's just natural. If he's life and we're turning our back on him, then it's natural that we would be without life, which is death. Death is the natural consequence of sin. So what happens when we turn away from life? We die. Now we're prepared to ask this question. Do you understand just how incredible it is that you would ask God to forgive you of your sin? We've just described what that is. Turning our back, owing him love and loyalty because he has given us life and created us in his image and wants to pour his love into our hearts forever and we've turned our back on him, given that love and loyalty to another. And now Jesus is asking us to ask for forgiveness? Here's what a prayer for forgiveness might look like to help show us how almost ridiculous it is that we would ask for forgiveness. Uh, Dear king who is greater than every king in the world, richer, more powerful, stronger, and more beautiful, I stand before you as one who has committed treason. I have forsaken your kingdom, spurned your name, and incited rebellions against you. I've renounced my citizenship. I've actively tried to overthrow your power and replace your authority because I thought you did not deserve to be king. I thought I had killed you. But now I see that you are good. I cannot undo my wrongs. So there are only two options. You can give me what I deserve and take my life, forever banishing me from your kingdom or give me what I do not deserve and grant me forgiveness. The good news about forgiveness is that God has decided to treat you incredibly unfair. That is exactly what forgiveness is. God has looked at your life, looked at your heart, looked at your mind, and decided to not give you what you deserve. That's what forgiveness means. It means the debt that you owe him the debt that you owe God, he takes and erases. He takes the guilt of you standing before him and banishes it. But remember, this is in the context of prayer. This is not a teaching just on what forgiveness is. He's telling us to pray about it. So let's make this personal. Rather than just talking in general about forgiveness, this is not a seminary and you are not students. In seminary, you would do something like that. You would spend weeks upon weeks talking in theory about something of which I know pretty well most of the students in there might not ever have that experience in their hearts. Hey, Johnny, how could you speak like that? Go listen to him preach. You might come to the same conclusion. They're more interested in the information than the transformation. But let's make this personal. You undoubtedly have things you're not proud of. 
You have things you wish you didn't do, things that were wrong, selfish, hurtful to others, even betraying those that you claim to love the most. We all have to do something with those wrongs that are inside of us. It's easier, this is our world, it's easier to point a finger and blame others. But the reality is, those who want to point and blame others still lay their head on their pillow at night, wrestling with this inner turmoil of the fact that there's wrongs in them too and they don't have a way to cope with them. You can distract, you can look somewhere else, you can blame, you can send all the positive thoughts to cast out all the negative energy, but the reality is that there's something wrong in me. And no matter how much positive thoughts I try to focus on every day, that doesn't do anything to get rid of the negative that's within me, the wrongs that are inside of me. So making this personal, here's what scripture says, not just about forgiveness in general, but forgiveness for you. When you are struggling with that, when you are unsure, Jesus says to pray, forgive us our debts. You say, does God answer that question? Here would be his reply. Go outside tonight. When it's dark, look up in the sky and find a star. The truth is I don't really know how far away stars are. You could try to explain to me how many light years, and then you have to try to explain what a light year is. I mean, it's far. Light year, I think, basically means traveling at the speed of light. It would take you a year to get there. (laughs) What? You say, how long is that? It's about five minutes longer than a road trip with kids to vacation. (laughs) As you look at that star and imagine how far away that star is, remind yourself that those things you're wondering, how do I handle those wrongs that are within me? How do I handle that regret? How do I handle these things in me, this sin in me that I have done wrong things and no matter how many good things I do, it doesn't erase my memory that I've done wrong things. What do I do with it? Remind yourself that that star you're looking at, your record of wrong has been removed further away than that star you're looking at. That's what Psalm 103 tells us. Verses 10 to 12, he has not dealt with us as our sins deserve. Look, God knows your record, and he does not deal with you as your sins deserve, or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens, the Bible way of not talking about the place where we sit on clouds, wear white robes, and play harps. No, no, that's the Bible language to talk about the sky, the universe, everything you see when you look up. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Friends, the world will get you to face the wrongs in you, either by denying them, distracting yourself from them, maybe totally fooling you into thinking there is no such thing as wrong. It's only right, but your guilt won't lie to you that way. You'll still know. Jesus actually asks us to face them head on because his power of love and forgiveness is that much greater than our power to sin. And to illustrate um, what it looks like when we experience verse 12, forgive us our debts, Jesus in Luke 7 tells a story of a woman 
And I'm going to read this story because it's really beautiful. Uh, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to eat with them, and Jesus entered the Pharisee's house. He reclines at the table with them. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So she brought in an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind him at his feet, weeping, and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with the perfume. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, said to himself, this man, if he were a prophet, would know who and what kind of woman this is who's touching him. She's a sinner, probably a prostitute. Jesus replied to him. <laughs> this guy's challenging if Jesus is a prophet. Meanwhile, Jesus, reading his mind, can we like acknowledge the absurdity of that? This guy says he's a prophet. Doesn't even know what kind of woman this is. And Jesus is like, I see your thoughts. So Jesus replies to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, say it, teacher. <laughs> you ever think Jesus got sick of that? <laughs> Sees his thoughts that Jesus is just like, he's just thinking Jesus is a fraud. And then Jesus talks to him and he's like, oh, oh yes, teacher, please teach me. You know, and you're like, I know you don't believe me at all right now. But Jesus still engages him with the story. A creditor had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. So 10 times more. Since they couldn't pay it back, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. You have judged correctly, he told him. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon. So he's looking at the woman and he's speaking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Feet would have been dirty, wearing sandals, dusty roads. You didn't give me any water for my feet, but she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, no greeting like that, no personal greeting, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil but she's anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who's this man who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus draws a direct connection between our love, the measure of our love, and the measure of our forgiveness. When Jesus tells stories like this, he means for us to identify with one of the characters and not always with the best one. He wants us to identify honestly. If we're gonna pray, forgive us our debts, God. The implication is you're more like the woman than like the Pharisee. We're more like the woman than like the Pharisee. We're, we're not so much like the guy that has all the resources that's doing Jesus a favor by providing a meal and inviting him into our home. We're not so much like that one. And if that's who you think you are, you might have a response similar to that guy, unaware of your need for forgiveness. But if we had an accurate view of reality, we might see ourselves more like the woman, desperate for Jesus' forgiveness, being crushed under the weight and the burden of needing forgiveness from him. And remember, I gotta keep reminding us of this because it's not 
just about forgiveness. It's a, in the context of prayer. So Jesus invites us to pray about our forgiveness when we face the wrongs inside of us. How will you cope with the wrongs inside of you? Is your instinct to turn to God with your sin and failures? When you're invited to pray for forgiveness, what kind of response does that drum up in your heart? Like heart racing fear that you're gonna have to talk about things you were hoping everyone else and you would forget? Is it a relief? Like you mean someone would forgive this about me? Are you overwhelmed with things you need forgiveness for? Are you embarrassed that you need forgiveness at all? Or do you struggle to see things you need forgiveness for and you're ready to make excuses? Jesus invites us to come and find forgiveness though. To go look up in the sky, find a star and recognize that the things that are drowning us have actually been far removed for us because of what God has done in Jesus. But Jesus makes a connection here in this these two lines in verse 12 of Matthew 6. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So it's only after we face our own wrongs that we can face the wrongs that another has done to us. And what Jesus is not saying in this is, if I'm gonna watch you your whole life, and if you forgive everyone perfectly, then I'll forgive you. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you wanna know if you're forgiven, Look at the way you forgive others. If you want to see if you understand the economy of forgiveness, look at your relationships. Do you really understand what forgiveness is? You'll be able to understand if you have been forgiven by God, if you can really muster up the courage to forgive other people. And this is how we move into the second part of the message this morning, facing the wrong in others. He's saying that being forgiven shows itself in the way we forgive others. Here's another story from Jesus from Matthew 18. So Peter <clears throat> approached Jesus and asked, Lord, I <laughs> love this question. How many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I love that honesty. Can we identify with Peter in the story for a second? How many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, the master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. At this, the servant fell face down before him. Essentially, that's him going bankrupt. The servant fell down before him and said, be patient with me, I will pay you everything. Here's how foolish that is in case you aren't getting paid in talents. It's a joke. None of us get paid in talents. We have no idea what a talent is. A talent is about 20 years wages. So do some math. If he owed 10,000 talents, we're talking about 200,000 years of wages. And the servant, <laughs> like a fool, says, just wait. I've got some good money riding on the next Super Bowl. I'll pay it all back. Just for a little more context, how much is a year's worth of wages? Well, today, let's just say you made $80,000 a year. 
For the next 200,000 years, you'd have about $16 billion. Again, just wait. I'm going I'm to pay you back. Just be patient with me. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. That servant, who just got forgiven that unbelievable debt, went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, what is that? A, a denarii was about one day's wages. So 100 denarii is about 100 days wages. So again, if you make $80,000 a year, 100 days worth of money is about $22,000. Let's not kid ourselves. A good chunk of money, right? I mean, that's a little, I mean, three months, a little more than three months worth of money. If someone came to me and said, pay me that, I'd be like, that's a lot of money. But compared to $16 billion, so what does he do? Hey, you owe me 22 grand, buddy. And he grabbed him and he started choking him and he said, pay what you owe. And at this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. No, a little more reasonable to think you might get out of $22,000 worth of debt. You probably have gotten out of that much debt at some point in your life. If you bought a car, you maybe paid that much down on your house. I mean, that's reasonable to expect you'd be able to pay that off. Be patient with me, I'll pay you back. But he wasn't willing. Instead, he went, threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. Then after he summoned him, his master, this is the guy who's forgiven him $16 billion worth. His master says to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed. So also my heavenly father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or his sister from your heart. Jesus' whole point is to compare the incredible sum of money, the 10,000 talents, to the 100 denarii. His whole point of that is to say that one of these is an absurd amount. And when you're forgiven an absurd amount, it makes it so much easier to turn to someone else and forgive them. It puts things in perspective. The thing that makes it hard to forgive is when we think we're superior, that we wouldn't have made that mistake. And again, we're meant to find ourselves in this parable. We are the ones who have been forgiven the ridiculous amount. And the question is, how will we treat others who owe us far less? If we've been truly forgiven by God, then the instinct of forgiveness will be in our hearts towards others. So how do we forgive? Like this is in the context of prayer, right? So first of all, I don't think you have to have an answer to that question to be obedient to what Jesus is saying here. Pray, forgive us, even as we're forgiving others. Help me to know what that means, God. Like it's okay to not know what it means to forgive someone in your life and still be faithful to pray, God, I want to. Let's just acknowledge that before we think we've got to have the perfect answer tied up in a bow that we can go and forgive. But the other side of forgiveness is that I think a lot of the way maybe we view forgiveness and our world and our culture views forgiveness is that it's pure emotion. I read story after story this week for this sermon where just doing a quick Google search, what is forgiveness? Or stories of forgiveness. And I read so many stories of 
people who didn't want to forgive because they said things like, I didn't believe it in my heart. I didn't want them to think that what they did was okay. What, what is forgiveness then? How do you forgive somebody? If it's only something I feel like doing, well, wait a minute, what does it mean to forgive? David Pallison has a very helpful book called Good and Angry, and it's about anger, and he's got a, a big section on forgiveness, and I totally recommend the book, but he's got a, a great section on forgiveness, and he talks about forgiveness looks pain and wrong and injustice squarely in the face. So the first thing we've got to acknowledge is that forgiveness and that's okay are two totally different answers. Those are two completely different. Forgiveness is absolutely not saying that's okay. It's actually saying the complete opposite. Hey, what you did was not okay. That's why I need to forgive you because you owed me something you did not give and it hurt me. And then forgiveness looks at that debt that was owed and says, I'm going to choose to not hold that over your head. I'm going to choose to not make you repay that. Now, this gets into some really gray area because you go, well, how do I forgive? Do I, does that mean I have to restore the relationship? Does someone have to apologize for me to forgive them? I don't think so. I think you can forgive in your heart and your attitude because that's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. You're praying. You're not talking to another person as you're praying the Lord's Prayer. As we have forgiven our debtors, we can pray, God, I want to have an attitude of forgiveness towards this person. But Dr. Henry Cloud, who wrote, has written a lot of great things, and he wrote a wonderful book called Boundaries, and he talks about forgiveness and reconciliation and trust as part of the past and present and future. Forgiveness is dealing with the past. Hey, what you've done in the past, the wrong that you've committed, the injustice, the pain you've caused, you owed a debt, you did not pay. I mean, it, it was, what you did was wrong and I'm choosing to not hang that over your head and make you repay that. But in the present moment, if you were to continue to take forgiveness, that would look like reconciliation. Coming back together and restoring a sense of love and fellowship together. And then the future would look like, I'm going to choose to trust you again. Now, there are times in our life that we're called to forgive, like all the time. There are times that you do not need to reconcile with those you forgive with. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. I just think it's just wise. There are people that have hurt you in ways that you ought not to reconcile with because you don't need to subject yourself to that kind of hurt again. That doesn't mean you don't have to forgive them. And you may say, what does forgiveness look like in that situation? I, that's something I think we'd have to submit to the Lord in a process because I don't have a very clear answer this morning. And then there's people that you forgive that you, de you don't need to trust again. Please, please don't. Because they've proven a pattern of pain in your life and They've proven that they shouldn't be trusted. So I, I think maybe that can be helpful for some of us who are re wrestling with that. How do I forgive? And does that just mean I just welcome them back and love them? No, no, it really doesn't. So then what does all that look like? Well, that might be more of a conversation one-on-one -on -one over time or with those of you who are really close in your life where you take these things of forgiveness and reconciliation and trust, past, present, and future, and you begin to work that out together, come talk to me or one of our elders, and we, we don't have an answer. We don't have, a, we don't have a policy manual at all, actually. It's a running joke with us, but we definitely don't have a policy about how that works. That's part of the beauty of the Christian life. 
There's not just like a Wikipedia page for everything you go through. But I hope that that gives some of you some freedom to understand what forgiveness is in your relationships. It's not looking at people and saying that's okay. It's not welcoming perpetually painful people back into your life over and over and over again. It's looking at the wrong that's happened and saying, I'm gonna choose to not make you repay that. The other important thing about forgiveness is that it is a choice. Tim Keller says that forgiveness is practiced before it's felt. That was powerful to me. It's practiced before it's felt. We must choose to forgive and believe that our emotions are gonna catch up. Our emotions are wonderful indicators and really bad leaders. They can indicate a lot of what's going on in your heart and in your soul and you're feeling a certain kind of way. Trace that down and, and sit with that with the Lord and say, why am I feeling so angry? Why am I feeling so sad? There's a why to that. They're really bad leaders though. Don't let them dominate and rule your life especially in the sense of forgiveness. But I think when we look at what forgiveness does, the, the act of forgiveness, the choice of forgiveness, it's a decision to see someone as a person for whom Christ died. And not just seeing a person as the sum of their actions towards you. And that's really hard. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a phenomenal book called Life Together where he talks about the power of Christian community. It's a really short book. And in it, he talks about having these uh, hard relationships or people that you're angry with. And then he talks about the power of prayer. And he says, when I pray for a brother or sister that I'm angry with, and I pray for them by name, he says, they are transformed from a person that I hate to someone for whom Christ died. And I thought, that is how we need to see people. Now again, that doesn't mean we bring them back into our life intentionally to hurt us again. It doesn't mean we rekindle a relationship, but that means we begin to see them not as just the sum of their actions, but as a human being because forgiveness restores humanity. And in all my searches this week of stories of forgiveness, I read a story, and you could find, I'm sure, many of these. We hear about them on the news because they're quite spectacular. When someone in a courtroom type setting, a family would forgive a, a murderer. And I read one story from the Chicago Tribune and it was about a, a mother forgiving her daughter's murderer. And, and a lot of the story, what, what made it so amazing was her family kept telling her like, no, that is, that is ridiculous. And she even talks about, I think she like wrote him a letter to start a, or he wrote her a letter or something. And how she's like, I didn't, I didn't feel like this at first when you wrote me something and I wanted to write you back, uh-uh. I did not feel any sense of forgiveness. I didn't want to, I did not choose to forgive you. And here's her quote from this article. She says, her own words, early on, this is in a letter to the, her daughter's murderer. Early on, I sadly thought of you as just Dana's murderer. But when I heard your words to us that day at the plea agreement hearing, and then with each additional choice I made to let myself be open to the words in your letters, I came to believe that you are much more than your crime. As awful as some of the people are in our lives, in your life, they're more. They are more than their crimes. They're more than the pain they've caused you. But here's the beautiful thing of admitting with John the Baptist, I'm not the Christ, I'm not the Savior. That means you can look at someone 
and forgive them for the wrong they've done. And you don't have to be the savior that pulls their full potential out of them. You can acknowledge that someone that's caused you great pain is more than the pain they've caused you, but that doesn't mean you need to be the one to save them. I can promise you won't be. But we can look at people in the power of the gospel and acknowledge the worst of the worst are more than what they've done. They are image bearers who God loves and Jesus died for. That God would love to walk them into his kingdom. But if you've been hurt by that person, that doesn't mean God's gonna use you to do it. But the power of forgiveness restores humanity because just like this mother said to her daughter's murderer, I came to believe that you are much more than your crime. Forgiveness looks at real human evil, human opposition to ourselves, and it recognizes how God sees that person. It fights to see people as more than their actions. Forgiveness actually says that we can't live in a world where we're all held to pay for every single one of our actions in a one-to-one ratio. Could you imagine such a world? There would be zero personal relationships in a world like that. If everyone is held 100% accountable and must repay every wrong they've ever done and we refuse to forgive, then we will never have deep and meaningful relationships. But your capacity for deep and meaningful relationships will only be as deep as your capacity to forgive. Because of the people you love most, you refuse to forgive. You will demand things from them that they will never be able to give you. If we want deeply loving and intimate relationships, we must learn to forgive. Because those we love most will wrong us and hurt us. And we cannot maintain long-term, intimately loving relationships without forgiveness. But... The point of all these verses is not just to teach us about forgiveness, it's to invite us into prayer for forgiveness. Jesus is inviting us to let prayer be a mirror that shows us how much we've grasped God's forgiveness and how willing we are to forgive others. So are you willing for this part of the Sermon on the Mount to be a mirror that you hold up to your own heart? Let this be a mirror. As you pray, God forgive us our debts. What's your heart doing as you pray that? Do you really mean that? Are you really willing to bring those things to the Lord to forgive you? As we have forgiven our debtors. Oh God, I'm not ready to forgive this person at all. Like that would be a faithful prayer in light of Matthew 6, 12. As long as you're praying what's honestly in your heart on this of forgiveness, that I believe is a faithful prayer because that is the reality in your heart and that is exactly where God wants to begin his work in you. So we can be honest in these prayers. Do you believe this morning that you're forgiven? You know, we're getting ready to celebrate the Lord's table and the only way to really know you're forgiven is if you can honestly look at this and in your heart you go, yes, his body was broken for me, his blood was shed for me, and the way my sin is paid for, the way my guilt is taken away, the way my debt has actually really been paid for wasn't by me, it was by Jesus. Do you really believe that you're forgiven? 
Who are you having a hard time forgiving this morning? Are you willing to bring those things to the Lord in honesty this morning? Because that's how God is going to meet us. Let's pray together. God, we are, are thankful for your incredible forgiveness. I mean, even the concept of forgiveness, it's not one that we came up with. It's your idea, God. Because you looked at the human condition and you know we needed it. And so you provided for it, God. I pray that some this morning would feel deep relief and comfort because they've needed forgiveness for a very long time. I pray this morning, God, that they would experience that in Christ. I pray for some this morning who have never experienced the forgiveness that only Christ can offer. I pray that you would move in their hearts to take a step towards you this morning in faith. Not towards knowing every answer about Jesus, not towards being able to explain everything, not aiming for a minimum amount of faith like they have 30% of what's required, no, no. Any step, faith is falling into your arms and so God I pray that some for the very first time would fall this morning into your arms and recognize that they need forgiveness and God I pray in all of us that as we think about the way you have forgiven us, as we think about that as we take this bread and this cup this morning God, it would move us in our hearts to be forgiving people towards others. Increase our capacity to be able to absorb the blows of people who wrong us. Not just not retaliate, but then actually forgive. And I pray that maybe this message, this verse, this scripture this morning, God, would be a catalyst to restore relationships in this room this morning, God. We love you, and we're so grateful that you love us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.